Hey there, and welcome to SaaS Unbound, brought to you by SaaS Group. I'm your host, Anna Dana, and this is the show where we chat with inspiring founders and experts to get an inside scoop on how they made their business a success. And today with me is Sujan Patel, founder of Mailshake, a sales engagement platform for modern sales teams. Mailshake is a profitable, bootstrapped, and fast-growing startup offering a simple and elegant solution to almost 70,000 customers worldwide. And we're here to learn how they did it. Welcome, Sujan. It's great to have you here. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to chat today. Cool. Okay. So let's, uh, let's jump into your story right away. Uh, if you could maybe give a bit of a background about yourself. Sure. Yeah. So my background's in, uh, in digital marketing kind of start off as an SEO. So I've been in marketing, uh, for about 20 something years, uh, really start of dot-com days, uh, back in high school when I was doing SEO consulting, uh, and I was the only Indian guy from like Elance that's actually in the U.S. Uh, so anyways, uh, that's kind of how I started really early into digital marketing, kind of found like my passion for growth. Um, so I don't really care what I grow. I just love seeing numbers go up and to the right. Um, 2008-ish, I started a marketing agency, worked with all sorts of different types of companies. We were in the Bay Area, so we were like fortunate enough to work with some really hot startups um, like Mint, um, lots of different Intuit properties, um, companies that ended up getting acquired by like, like LinkedIn, Airbnb, Expedia Group, uh, various e-commerce sites. And what I found is, this is when I fell in love with SaaS. Out of all the businesses that we were able to grow uh, and, and work with, SaaS seemed to be the highest, you know, growth, profit, exit value, fun to operate. Um, and so I was like, I need to be on the other side of this. I want to own a SaaS company. So that's about 2011 or so. And since 2011 to 2015, I started, I tried to start a number of software companies and failed quite a bit. Um, and I realized I'm missing a lot of stuff like a lot of skills. So I know how to grow a business. I know how to build a team. I know how to do sales, but I have no clue how to do at the time, product development, customer support, success. And really the product was the weakest part because I would go hire developers and say like, go build this tool for marketers, right? That was my goal. I was like, let's just build something for marketers. Forget the TAM, forget any of the stuff that's like business one-on-one. I was like, let's just validate a marketing idea because I know marketers, I can sell to them, I can, I can market to them. And um, anyways, long story short, I was missing product as a skill set. So I sold the business, joined a company, one of my clients as a VP of marketing to learn the ins and outs of the other thing besides marketing. And in my two years there as a funded company, took it from 1 million to about 12 or 13 million ARR. Um, and, and, you know, on the side, I got really bored. So going from an entrepreneur to a, an employee um, is so boring. And so it's easy in the sense that you have a lot of time on your head. It's not easy because you have to change, you know, going from CEO to employee, kind of hard. Uh, but I had a lot of time on my hands. I had about um, 16 hours of like, I don't, what do I think about? Like the business I was working on my day-to-day -day job, it was growing. We we're doing all the right things. 
you know, but after what I do like in my nights and weekends and like, what do I think about when I wake up? Like it was a little bit of what I work stuff, but, uh, that's when I started thinking about what to, um, what to build. And again, same premise, let's go build. I don't know how to build a software company. Let's just build something. Let's remove all the variables, forget Tam, forget, can this make money? Let's just say, will people use it? So we removed, we, we, we started, that's where the idea behind Nailshake came from. Um, originally started as targeting marketers and content marketers, SEO specifically. We're doing things like link building, content promotion, and all sorts of outreach, but for marketing purposes. Probably three to four months in, we realized the sales, like a salesperson actually snuck in and used it and then boom, like, oh, salesperson used it, loved it, shared it, and they started making money. I'm like, oh making money with my product and they started bringing more people. Long story short, that's when we realized this product is much, much better for sales reps and sales teams versus marketers. Marketers still use it, but um, there's no better use case than when somebody uses a product and actually generates revenue directly from the benefit, immediate revenue from the, from the use of the software. So anyways, long story short, that's kind of the background of, uh, of Mailshake. That was seven and a half years ago. Uh, you know, now we're about 45 employees and, and growing and again, bootstrapped. Uh, I mean, I just wanted to build something. I didn't really think twice. I put the business, I brought in all the business stuff after the fact, which is a bad idea in retrospect. Okay. All right. Well, we'll get there. Um, I get super fascinated by people who say, you know, I fell in love with growing in high school. I fell in love with procrastinating, like not going to <laughs> <laughs> to classes in high school. How like it's it's amazing, uh, but you know it's probably great that you found your passion so so early. So uh, let's get to it. Like it it seems like there was a challenge uh, first of finding market fit, and then second, probably not being able to to think about the pricing or, or j just the whole business model or what, what were you referring to, uh, in, in terms of not, um, the, yeah, the, the business model itself. Yeah. 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 So uh, the first part, uh, product market fit, I think it took us like 18 months. Um, here's what we did wrong and what I do the exact opposite. We built the product first based off validation from about a hundred or so people. Um, again, marketers who we're going after and problem number one, they all said they love the thing. Okay. That's the wrong way to do product research. Okay. Everyone's going to tell you they love the thing. If they're your friends, um, everyone loves concepts, right? Um, and so you have to dig in a lot deeper than like, Hey, if I built this, would you use it? Right. Um, and maybe it's like functional wireframes or, uh, mock-ups or like digging into like, how much would you pay for this? Like buy it now. Right. So I should have like done a lot better, deeper research and product. Um, and then problem number two is I, I built a bunch of stuff based off a lot of wrong assumptions or uh, a little bit people, too nice people where they didn't give me the wrong thing. And, um, so I built a lot. And so that caused us to be really slow to get out there. So let me put it in perspective. We launched, we started the company in February, 2015. 
Around the same time, some of our competitors, you might know them, they're billion dollar companies, outreach and sales law, also pivoted into this same space. Around the same time, because we're dumb and we were learning, we built this big product for marketing people when we could have built it for salespeople in the beginning. And it took us about nine months to go to market um, with this, it was probably like six to nine months somewhere there with this big bloated product that didn't have product market fit with the customer. Um, and when we figured that out, we quickly moved, scrambled to figure whatever, uh, how do we get in front of the right customers? And we knew that we didn't have a product market fit because activation was bad. So I'm good at marketing. So we ended up getting five, $10,000 in MRR very quickly, but those customers didn't stay. They didn't use the product. Some of them paid, but they didn't use the product. And that was the point of why I was like, okay, this isn't going to scale more than where we're at today. Um, number two is uh, pricing second. Okay. So my goal was let's just get into SaaS and, you know, not a bad thing, but if I just spent like maybe another hour or two or three, you know, like I'm talking about less than a day's work, um, I would have figured out what the right pricing model is. So my background has been primarily in, and I've done all types of deals, but mostly in software in SMB SaaS. So self-service where it's mostly product-led or there's a huge free, free trial freemium component of it that drives the massive funnel of just people coming through the door and then sales assist on top of that. So that was like, well, screw it. Why don't I just do what I know? Let's just do that. I know how to do it and just do it again. Um, and I charged too little. I just said like, what's the cheapest I can charge to get people in the door to validate this idea? What I should have done is put that into the product research phase and said, what is the right way to price this thing? And where is there a where is the market? Like, uh, so again, for example, outreach shows off. So back in the day when we started 2015, there were 14 competitors. The idea for me was, yes, we has been out there for a long time and it sucks. It's inside Gmail. It's super kludgy, clunky. Google just launched it. Gmail just launched an API. We can build a way better version. It was a web app. And the focus is going to be on ease of use and simplicity. That's what we got right. Everything else we got wrong, even the customer. And the pricing. So, so anyways, instead of then like digging into, should we charge a lot for it? Should we go after enterprise mid-market? Should we do SMB, whatever, product-led growth? We just said, screw it. Let's do what we know. Charge the least amount. It was 7 or $9 a user at the time. And we're, we were young and naive. So we didn't even launch multi-user plans. You could like sign up for the company and like only buy one seat, um, which is again, like, so there was no upgrade path. So right. let me put it this way. As a $7 RPU, you need like, like hundreds of thousands of customers to build a scalable business. Um, and so um, anyways, fast forward um, about six to 12 months, we iterated, iterated, got it right, got it working. Um, I brought on my, an advisor, uh, Bob Senoff, who is more of the CFO, COO, kind of the business guy to make sure all the crazy ideas I had would go through a financial model first. And then he could tell me how good or bad it was based off what's going to happen. Right. He's like, Hey, if you charge $9 a month, this is where the business is going to go flat. I'm like, Oh yeah, we shouldn't charge $9 a month. So that's when we quickly realized we need to charge more. 
and uh, we need to get that ARPU into the $50 to $100 range. Um, and then in 2000, jumping around a little bit, but in 2019, um, we're like, whoa, this SMB market is actually not the best market. The, way, the best way to build wealth or build value in this business, it's actually the mid-market enterprise because you can charge tens to hundreds of thousands per customer. Um, and therefore you don't need as many. And we kind of had 70, 80% of the functionality anyways. And so um, that's kind of the long journey and many failures in that journey to go uh, up market. I'd say 2022 is when we really said, you know what, we're gonna close the door behind us in going up market, meaning we're not gonna focus on SMB. They might come in the door, but we're not, we're gonna price them out. So in 2022, we went to yearly um, jacked up prices, fo focus on real true functionality that was lacking. Um, and, in, and then for larger mid-market enterprise deals, um, really the channel to grow them is, is outbound sales. Again, we're an outbound product. So that you'd think is not a challenge, but it was uh, because of our pricing. Uh, but yeah, anyways, that's, that's kind of the long and short of uh, what happened and where we started and then like, you know, long half-assing of going up market. Uh, we finally got our shit together in 2022. Right. Okay. <laughs> uh, it it seems like a, like a very uh, fast fast forward. But uh, yeah, if you think about it, it's still you know five seven years, right? To to actually get it right and to to uh, get maybe brave enough to to say no to to huge chunk of of customers. Okay, yeah. so um, yeah, so let's let's talk about um, about your day to day operations with the company, right? It's a very small company, very small team. Uh, how did you prioritize? Like you said, you were iterating for for almost a year. How did you prioritize what you were doing? How did you know? Um, again, fast forward two thousand twenty two, what um the enterprises are going to uh, to be looking for. So what's your uh, process in finding the features that you want to build? Yeah, so that's actually, uh, the simple answer is we were not, we've never really been the market leader in innovation. So we're not inventing new things that magically people will use. Well, we're actually more of the, we're more of like the last mover, um, more than, um, the first mover. Uh, so when you are a last mover or a late mover, you have a very big advantage, which is you see the future. The future is what all the people in the space are doing and you could see their successes and failures. So looking, if you really dig in, you can find out what functionality that they built that people like. And don't like, and the way to do that is interviewing their customers, interviewing people in the space. Like, what do you like about outreach and sales law? And again, we put our own spin in it from day one. Our approach has always been, we want to help make this easy to use straightforward. We want to remove, we want to add automation to stop the redundant task and whatnot. But we're also only going to build things that actually work. Right. And so. Uh, that allows us not to spend a lot of time on R&D of potential value and really focus on what actually will help. 
and then our own spin of like, okay, there's like these 10 ways. There's like, let's just say um, there's all this like LinkedIn automation. Well, there's a lot of different companies doing it and functionality out there. How do we make it the mail shake easy to use way? Like, um, you know, so like a quick example of that is like, you know, in mail, but like some of our competitors have in mail related automation and we're like, screw that. Nobody reads in mail. We know that. Why are we focusing on, why don't we focus on just the parts that actually, uh, move, move the needle for an actual salesperson. So long story short, like it was really, we really were able to, we were fortunate enough to have a, a front row seat to the successes and failures. And we were just doing our homework. Um, and that's how we we're able to really focus on with a smaller team, no budgets, um, the right functionality. And even then we probably were like 60, 70% wrong. Um, everyone was, everyone is in the, in the tech space. Like not everything, you, not every new feature or product you build works out, but, um, but yeah, that's kind of what we focus on. What my day to day looks like, um, today is that I oversee, um, everything, um, growth and, and product. So, okay. um, I have really like four or five direct reports. I had a CS, had an app, inbound sales, had an app on sales, a marketing person, and then I had a product and, uh, you know, just helping them stay focused on, on what the, you know, the vision they're executing on. Looking for new ways to find customers for your SaaS business? Consider adding an affiliate or customer referral program. Rewardful is the easiest affiliate tracking platform to set up, manage, and scale for SaaS companies. Log your customer acquisition cost and only pay based on results. Integrate Rewardful with your Stripe or Paddle account and set up your affiliate campaigns in minutes. Rewardful automatically tracks referrals, calculates commissions, handles upgrades and downgrades, all seamlessly in the background, whether you sell one-off purchases or recurring subscriptions. Companies like Podia, Copy.ai, Barometrics, Synthesia, and many, many more are already using Rewardful to add that sweet, sweet MRR to their businesses. Sign up now at Rewardful.com for a free 14-day trial and turn your biggest fans into your best marketers. Okay, so it's more uh, of a strategic now. Yeah, yeah. And prior to that, from 2019 to 22, you know, I hired a marketing manager, like built out the sales team. Well, I hired somebody to build out the sales team. And so like I was really in the weeds a little bit more in certain areas or managing folks and building, helping build teams. But um, I've always been a fan um, ever since I learned, I couldn't do everything myself and I'm not going to be an expert at everything, uh, which was a very easy lesson to learn um, as I met smarter people than me along the whole journey. Um, I wanted to build a rock star team that can execute with what we have um, to work with. So, you know, that was very hiring. The biggest decisions uh, wrong or good uh, have been, you know, the key hires, the managers um, or the department heads. Uh, product or uh, marketing. And I will tell you, um, I think I've like, I have a 50% success rate in hiring. So the first person I hired to lead the department that we build up ends up not working out. And so um, you'd think I got good at that, but it is a very hard kind of role to find. And the hard part is not probably what you think. 
Um, it's not that you can't, let's for example, um, head of product. You think, oh, like you have a software business in the sales tech space, find somebody who knows industry knowledge and has worked in the size team. Well, because you're bootstrapped, um, it's a different mentality, right? Um, and industry knowledge turns out is not as important as being able to work in super small teams and being agile and nimble and, and like, um, and, and then them being able to actually hire and recruit themselves. And so, um, you know, we hired a VP of marketing one time, um, it lasted like maybe three, four weeks. Um, cause the first thing they wanted to do is spend all the marketing budget on. Yeah. When you said one metric. time, <laughs> that kind yeah. of gave it away. <laughs> what we did, we, they spent, they wanted to spend all the marketing budget on metrics. Like they want to do product analytics. I'm like, okay, great. What are you going to do with that information when you find out it does X? Because you have no more money to do anything with it. So congratulations. You have all the answers, but no resources to do stuff with it. So um, again, that if I were that person was at a funded company with a $100,000 monthly marketing budget and a 10-person team, right move. Two-person marketing team and a $10,000 month budget? you've played your cards and you have no, no options to execute. So, so anyways, it's been these types of things. And I'd say that bootstrap transitioning to a bootstrap company is, has been the, probably the hardest part uh, of this because we want like high growth, but we have no money <laughs> uh, to do that. When I say no money, That's I mean, like, we only, we only have the money we make. Right. So, right. you know, when we were at 3 million ARR, I was like, okay, this $3 million is going to get split up between engineering, sales, marketing, whatever. And like, you know, so like everyone got like a sliver, right? Um, if we were a funded company, we'd be $3 million and have like five, 10, $20 million. And that's different. You, you can operate. I think you can make more moves um, and learn with execution versus for us, it's like measure 10 times execute maybe once maybe once right like if you're lucky yeah right okay uh so a few questions uh first of all about uh being the last one to market uh a lot of founders are very scared to to be in that space because you know if you can google a company that does exactly that uh you know and there are 13, 20 pages on Google of companies that do that. It's probably not the best space to move in. So uh, how did you how did you do with this kind of mentality? Did you did you have any hesitation of like maybe it's not the right uh, thing to do? Maybe we should find something more disruptive. I mean the grass is always yeah, I, mean, I think the, the grass is always green on the other side. So the advantage of being in a space, being the last person in the space. So just to be clear, we started in 2015. There's 14 people in the space, including us. There was 120 something competitors in the space. So sure. there, there are now like 90, you know, 100 people behind us. So we were last movers and now we're kind of not the last movers. There's more people. But the advantage to be a late mover in any space is you can find ways, areas to improve. 
you can find weaknesses and gaps. The other part is this, uh, is that when technology changes, um, if you can be there at the intersection of that point, that, that enough, that's there, there's enough there to potentially be a unique situation. And so we were kind of at this intersection of like Gmail opened up their API, um, which allowed a lot of automation to be done that was done really poorly because the plumbing behind the scenes had to be manually built um, through a bunch of like SMA, uh, SFTP, a bunch of e like nerdy email stuff behind the scenes. And now with Gmail API, you can just like plug and play essentially. Um, and so a technology change um, allowed us to potentially en uh, to enter the market. Am I, do I think like, why are we in such a crowded space all the time? But like, I don't know, why am I short? I can't control my height, right? As an adult, um, uh, I would like to be in a less crowded space, but I would tell you in 2023, every category in every space is crowded. So deal with it, right? Um, right. Um, I, I, think okay. the, I think the focus is really what makes you stand out and really don't just, and for who? I think that's a really important thing. So yeah, I mean, in, a, in our space, sales engagement or like email outreach or sales tech, there's thousands of companies, hundreds of companies, what have you in our specific space. But like we're targeting five to 20 person sales teams and that's it that use one of three CRMs and are, are, are growing. Um, that's our market. How do we be the best for that? And what's our USP, unique selling proposition? Um, and that's all we care about. So if we can figure out what we can be amazing at there, um, that's, that's enough to kind of win. And for me, the great thing about being bootstrapped, um, I don't have, I, I guess like I've already, we've already won. Like we have, you know, nearly 70,000 customers. We make money. Um, and, and we're growing. And so, uh, I don't know, it's, we just want to keep going faster and bigger. Um, I don't have any Good. pressure. Like if we don't grow, it sucks, but you know, um, I still, we still have a business. Right. Well, I'm always happy to see happy founders here. Someone who's, you know, not struggling, not figuring out, uh, what to do next. And that's beautiful. Uh, another question is uh, about bootstrapping. And I think I've heard becoming a bootstrapping company. So did you at some point uh, raise money? No, no. Uh, we, I put in about 150000 probably total um, to get the company, to keep the company afloat, get it started to keep it afloat. Actually, it cost me more to keep it afloat than to start it because, again, we pivoted, right? Yeah. So time was the, the factor. So just to give everyone a timeline, 2015 was the idea, launched in late 2015. 2007, late 2017, we got product market fit. Um, and 2019, so two years after that, we went and we decided to move up market into the outreach and sales law, sales engagement space. And 2022 is when we said, no more SMB, only mid-market, let's go. Um, and we still get SMB. So we're okay with SMB, right. but we're not, we're not spending any money to market or build product for them. Okay. 
so let, let's talk a little bit about scaling, uh, right? So at what point, what tipped you off that, you know, this is uh, the time and the place to start hiring, to start, I don't know, buying ads on Facebook or whatnot. So at what point you realize that you reach that uh, growth stage that you were looking for? Um, I think that like scaling started when we hit about a million ARR. Um, not necessarily started. I, I mean, sorry, not it, we weren't necessarily there. But when you're at a million, you have to think about the moves you're going to make at five and ten, right? Um, and so that was when I was like, oh, I don't have to just like grind it out and do everything myself. I can hire somebody to help me take this stuff off my plate. Like I don't have to answer support tickets now. Um, I didn't have answer support tickets for a long time. I, I think I did it for like the first year and then I hired somebody, but I just mean like there are functions I can hire out for. Um, so yeah, um, that was really the big thing. And then the other thing is like, at that point, like if we decide to, let's say at a million, we decide to spend 500 K on, let's just say marketing. If it doesn't work, we're, we're screwed, right? Like, so, that was when this point of like, oh, it's not just about like how good I am. It's about the vision of where this is going to go and trying to be, you know, kind of accurate to what's realistic. Um, and so, yeah, that was a, a thing. And then really, I look at the business. I have a very simplistic view. It's all about building a USP in the product and a growth uh, and growth levers. So my goal ever since I hit about one to two million, no worries. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Growth levers. That's the hardest part of the business. In fact, I'd argue that in 2023, it's actually cheaper to build the product and easier to build the product than it is to attract the customer oh, absolutely. because of how much, agree. yeah, so much competition, right? Um, yeah. yeah. Customer acquisition cost is just. I think it's skyrocketed and uh, now uh, with, you know, no code, low code frameworks, whatnot, you can build a product and I don't know. Um, I've had guests here on the podcast who've built, launched uh, and sold in just under a year. Um, but yeah, the biggest problem was, was distribution. So let, let's marry now growth and the fact that you were bootstrapped. And uh, tell me if there are any, uh, you know, rules, something that keeps you growing strong while bootstrapping. So uh, is there something that you would not do unless you're absolutely sure that you're, uh, you have a heavy cash flow? Um, I think that, so I, I put it to you a different way. Okay. So same question, different answer. So instead of, I, I focus not necessarily on what I won't do and what, what I do more so on what's worthwhile executing on. So imagine everything you're going to do is going to be successful. What is success is what you, whatever idea big or small, how much is it going to move the needle? And what is, what do you define as moving the needle? So for me, we've always had a goal at the company to reach $100 million exit value. And in order for us to do that, we need to get somewhere between 20 to 30 million in ARR 
and be growing, growing, um, and, and hit the rule of 40. So the rule of 40 is you either have to be somehow you have to make up 40. So you need to be profitable 20% and growing 20% or growing 40% and be break even, you know, you could be growing 50% and be negative 10% cash, right. um, whatever. Right. So that's the goal. hundred, hundred million dollar exit value. Everything I do, I question, does this impact that goal? And is that going to get me anywhere closer? Is there better things I can do with it? And so I don't look at this as like, oh, like, should I do this or should I do that? And like, how should we go about this? It's like, does this, I question, does this even matter? Is this going to even move the needle? So when I say move the needle, $100 million exit goal, like, and we don't have to sell, but it's an easy way to like define the worth of the business and, and a bunch of rules that set us a good business. And then it's like, okay, uh, what do I need to do over the next five years to hit that goal? And so again, I need to like, I have yearly targets. And so when I think about, does this hit my, does this move the needle? Is this going to help me get closer to this number? Most of the time, the answer is no. And so we just don't do it. You know, right now in Slack, there's a chat around uh, my head of sales came up with a really good idea that I could help reduce churn. Well, even if that was successful, the impact would be maybe 2% uh, of the people that would see this like prompt would not churn effectively. Well, that 2% doesn't do jack for the business. Therefore, why think about it? Why do it? And so I, I say no 95, maybe 98% of the time. My job with these four or five managers I deal with is just tell them no. Keep doing what you're doing. Stay on course. Uh, you know, like bowling. I'm the bumpers in bowling. That's the goal of, you know, as a CEO at the moment. It's like, no, we have a goal. It just just keep going straight. Like, uh, oh, right. deviate? No, no, no. Like maybe like five degrees, not 50 degrees, right? So um, yes, uh, the answer is really that. And that's really hard to do because you know what? Like those 98 times I had to say no out of 100, they were good ideas. But like, I'm sacrificing good ideas for one or two great ideas. Right. Um, okay. So that makes sense. biggest mistake we made last 2020 and 2021, we spent almost a million dollars in marketing over those two years, built an awesome team. Unfortunately, marketing didn't actually move the needle for the business. Like, um, and the needle for us was moving up market. It got us more customers and more, more stuff and more traffic. Like we double, tripled the traffic. Our email newsletter was like through the roof, you know, all these like awesome metrics to say like, oh, like you got more traffic. Wouldn't that be the thing? And more customers, yes. But we didn't, we failed to execute moving up market and therefore we failed. So okay. um, stuff like that. Okay. Well, thank you for, you know, honestly sharing that. Uh, okay. So since we started talking about a potential exit, a hundred million dollar evaluation, uh, and I guess that's uh, like the highest number I've heard on this podcast. Everyone's talking about like 10 million ARR, like uh, hit that magic number and then think about safety. 100 million, that's new, but totally, totally possible, I think. And uh, so is there anything that you're implementing already? Say you're hitting 100 million in five years. Is there anything that you're implementing so that, you know, you're just... 
um, at this strategic point, you know, you're you're at the your bowling alley, and everything's operating perfectly without you. So you are kind of just you know looking for for VCs to to flood um, your office. Yeah, I mean, I think the um, the the what I what I focus on is where the market's going. What can we do to make our customer um, our exact ICP more successful? Like, forget the product. Like, I don't like this is all about on the business, not in the business. So we've got the team executing pretty well to amazing, and depending on what area we're at um, in the business. So I think about how can I add value to the business? What can we, what's like things that would help them? Not, not looking at it from the lens of like, oh, what product can we build? Like, forget that. Like, what's going to help people close more deals that we, you know, our sales customers, sales customers, uh, salespeople close more deals. Uh, number two is how can we be strategic to an acquirer who is an acquirer, right? Now, I'm not going to share all the details. We have a list. We have a list of like six to seven people that we know would be great buyers. We would love to be acquired by them. Now, I mentioned $100 million exit value. That doesn't necessarily mean we have to sell, um, but um, um, that means we have to have a healthy business that's growing that like can run if I died, right? Or if I'm not like in the day-to-day um, of every little decision, right? Or if I'm not actually doing the product roadmap or the marketing right. or the sales or whatever, right? Um, so it has to be a healthy, growing business that has a great management team and, and great individual and contributors. But yeah, I, I solely focus these days on how can we add more value um, to the business? How do we make it more? How do we make it strategic? So I told you there's 120 something people in the space. Um, what the heck makes us better than any of the other folks, right? Um, being bigger in revenue and more customers might not be a good thing, right? So like, uh, you know, one company that would potentially acquire us, which is probably, uh, we're so far away from it, Salesforce. Well, why would Salesforce buy us versus 119 of our competitors? And wouldn't they buy like a smaller one because it's cheaper than a bigger company, right? Or would they buy our customers? Are our customers worth anything to our, you know, whatever? And then I also think about how to increase NRR and, um, and, and ACV. So again, going up market, Two metrics that matter to me is NRR and ACV. Those numbers go up, um, we're going in the right direction. They go down. Even if we grow, we're probably not going in the right direction um, towards that goal. And and then uh, how to build moats. So these are some really like, you kind of have to sit there, read, like, you know, I'm, I'm really talking to other founders, talking to other CEOs, people have exited and trying to learn um, the most I can to figure out what kind of, what are the one or two moves I can make after we're done with this move? Right. Okay. All right. So maybe, maybe not yet, right? You're not getting ready for it full time. <laughs> yeah. Okay. That's super cool. Okay. Just, uh, just a couple more questions. And one is something that I always ask the biggest win and the biggest failure. So the failure, I guess we've got, uh, right in uh, the marketing efforts. What was the biggest win? Um, I think the biggest win was just um, when we we implemented um, something called EOS, um, and it, it stands for Entrepreneurial Operating System, and it's just a good structure to manage the day to day business. 
We implemented it very early on, I think in 2018. And since then, everybody knows every single person can reiterate our core values, can reiterate what the goal is for the quarter, what the year, what the exit value is. And they can, they can think through the same way I think about it. Like, does this help us hit our goal? Like every single person at the company can do that. And because of that, like alignment, oh, because of all that, it creates a lot of alignment. And it means we can move forward. There's no one like, who's like, no, that doesn't make any sense. It's like, if they go through their own logic tree of this decision-making, yeah. we'll all kind of end up at a similar, um, similar direction. So the, the lack of, uh, the, well, the, the internal alignment has helped us move very, very fast um, through headwinds and, and, and waves against us. Super cool. Okay. Okay. That, that sounds great. Uh, and uh, probably the last one, it's kind of a bonus question. Uh, so lots of people are talking about AI as being the trend or maybe an overhyped trend uh, to some extent. What do you think is the actual trend of 2023? Especially um, survival. Um, survival <laughs> is the trend. Uh, I think AI is definitely a, a macro trend that's going to happen over the next um, kind of the next. This is it's the next wave of technology companies. Um, but we're so early that we have no. I don't think anybody has a crystal ball of like what's good and bad and what's going to make it because like all this stuff sounds great, but we need like time to really play it out. Um, but I think given everything that's happening in the economy, banks, like just layoffs, all that stuff, those awesome companies that were started over the last decade, surviving this like turmoil will be, I think, a, the, the trend like and how okay. to do it. Okay. Uh, have you put any uh, risk mitigation process in place for, for Mailshake? Uh, yeah, we have a lot of scenarios, um, but uh, our simple one is just don't spend money you don't have and, you know, stay, stay, um, you know, have enough cash and, and staying profitable helps us um, not have to overreact to certain things. Um, and so uh, just staying, staying to that ethos of like, it's not growth at all costs. It's, it's, um, it's what helps us hit our, uh, our exit value. And, um, so we've been fortunate enough not to have to do like, um, doomsday scenarios or have to like, think about, you know, risk, um, uh, or, or lack of, you know, what happens if we lose customers? Well, we would reduce how much we spend on stuff. Right. Um, and, uh, we're, we're fortunate enough to have a lot of growth come from word of mouth and our customers. And so that marketing channel, you can't turn it off ever. Like they just keep, we have enough customers where I guess the virality component of it is enough to keep the business moving. We just have to not mess up any of the other stuff that we do. Right. Okay. All right. Well, thank, thanks for sharing that. Well, uh, Sujan, that was uh, probably my last question. It was absolutely awesome talking with you. You've got a great story and you're so focused on your goal which is great to see so good luck with that and hopefully 
next time I interview you will be after that exceptional exit. Awesome. Thank you for having me. I'm excited and hopefully we, uh, I'll, I'll definitely be pinging you once we, once we exit, but just, which is like five years. From now, so, um, there, there's no exits right now happening for sure. All right, cool. All right. Well, uh, thank you and take care. Bye. Awesome. See ya. That was yet another awesome conversation on SaaS Unbound. We're always looking for new guests to share their experiences. We mostly talk with bootstrapped SaaS founders. And if you're one, reach out to me directly at anna at saas.group or find me on LinkedIn. If you're not bootstrapped or even not SaaS, but have a great story to tell, we want to hear from you too. And obviously, SaaS Unbound wouldn't be possible without the SaaS Group, a founder-friendly private equity company that buys awesome businesses that people love to take them to even greater success. If you're thinking about selling your company or just exploring your options, feel free to visit saas.group, fill in the form, and expect a response in under 24 hours.